in Daniel chapter 12. So jump in there with me. Uh, we've been working our way through Daniel. If you remember, in this section of Daniel, beginning it begins at chapter 10. From chapter 10 through the end of the books, one prophecy, uh, primarily focused on the 400 silent years. So we're going through the period of time where there was no prophet in the land of Israel leading up to Messiah. And the, the, the point or the purpose behind the prophecy is to remind the people uh, of Israel, even during that time when things are quiet, all of history is moving toward a conclusion. God is still in control. Even if you don't see him, if you don't hear him, he's still moving and working. And to provide that, that proof to the people during that period of time, he gave this prophecy. Now, if you remember last time I said from, from chapter 11... Oh, gosh, I don't know, in the 40s, somewhere in the 40s, I believe Daniel lifts up his eyes and he's looking out further into the future. Prior to that, he's talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, what Antiochus is going to do, what's going to happen to the nation during those silent years, and the fact, the, the point of all those prophecies is to people, God's saying, I'm still here. I'm telling you before it happens, I'm here. History may not be going the way we want, but it will be accomplishing his purpose and arriving at his goal, not necessarily mine. But God has a plan and a purpose that we are moving toward. Ultimately, the return of the king. The return of the king, the day when we'll see our great God and Savior return. So just back up a little bit, just so you remind, remind you of context. Daniel eleven forty four says, But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he will go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And I said last time, this is where I think he's looking forward. He's seeing that battle, Revelation 19, the battle of Armageddon, all the armies of the, of the world gathered together in one last rebellion against God. The return is going to, to happen at this time. He will pitch his tent between the sea and the glorious mountain, yet he will come to an end with none to help him. Daniel 12.1 continues the thought. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Now we recognize it because we see the same prophecy coming up by John in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 verse 7 says, Now arose in heaven Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. He was defeated. No longer was any place found for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him. 
by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not uh, love their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them, but woe to you on earth. The devil has come down in great wrath, and he knows his time is short. So he talks about this, this uh, eschaton, that's a fancy word for it, the ending, the wrapping up of time prophetically on, on the Lord's scale. Michael will finally be let off his leash. Michael, who I, don't, I, I would like to see what it looked like in heaven when Christ was crucified. And what the angels were doing. Because I promise you they, Jesus said I could call, how many? 10,000 angels. 10,000, 10,000. He is uh, the Lord of hosts. Yahweh Sabaoth. The God of the angel armies. But he didn't call them right because his purpose was to come and provide atonement for uh, the people who would respond to the gospel of our great God and Savior and so here Michael's let off his leash and the accuser of the brethren the devil the dragon he is going to have his day I don't know how long it's been you know we could argue forever if you want since the fall of man, you could say 6,000 years, 10,000 years. I don't care how many years you say. Uh, you want it to be 600 billion, I don't care. Whatever the case is, Michael's irritated. And he's been having to deal with this, this character for a long time. And the day that the Lord looks at Michael and says, Hey, Michael, get that dude out of here. The Bible says there will be a war in heaven. And Michael and his angels will fight with the devil and his angels. And there will be no place found for him in heaven any longer. Now, there's a lot of different views on timing. When does this happen? Has this already happened? I believe we're looking at a future event that's going to coincide with the tribulation period, right? You know, the world uh, is, is finding itself growing worse and worse and in that time at that point that final 70th week of daniel we talked about in daniel chapter 9 we get to that last week and there will be a moment in which michael will be cut loose and he will uh cast out the devil he will come to earth and there will be a time like there has never been before now scripturally we're going to see that phrase a few times in Matthew 24, verse 21, Jesus given the Olivet Discourse. He said, For then there will be tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall be. So it's going to be bad. Right? Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, looking for the restoration of the nation of Israel in his day, used these words. Alas, that day is so great there is none like it it is a time of distress for jacob yet he shall be saved out of it we have this common theme prophetically through the prophets in fact we're going to finish up daniel tonight we'll start hosea next week 
and we're going to keep marching our way through the prophets until we complete the Old Testament, which will hopefully will be soon, and uh, a week or two, probably at most. And so as we go, as we go through it, we're going to hear a common theme, and the common theme that's going to come up over and over again is that the nations of this world always rise in power and, and fall in corruption. Rise in promise, fall in corruption. Everybody says the next, king, the next great king on the scene, it's the message hasn't changed nowadays. The next great idea or system, which is not a new idea or new system, it's the same old system, but man comes on, says, I can do this better, come follow me. People follow him. There's a new kingdom, a new king. He rises in power, falls in corruption. This has been repeated since the human history. There's around 10,000 years of written human history, and we can see this over and over and over and over. Just like the dream Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel chapter 2. The kingdoms of men rise, depreciate, fall to the next kingdom, to the next kingdom, to the next kingdom, until the kingdom of heaven conquers the kingdoms of men, and the kingdom of heaven comes to earth the return of the king. And this is what Daniel, I think, is looking at. It says in verse 2, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. So we have what the book of Revelation discusses as the great white throne judgment, right? Where everyone will stand before their maker. Everyone will give account before God. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. And the idea is the resurrection. We have the resurrection unto life, Daniel talks about, and the resurrection unto death. Now, the resurrection unto death is not obliteration. It's going to the lake of fire. The lake of fire burns as long as heaven goes. So if heaven is eternal, so is the lake of fire. Uh, the Bible, the language in Scripture does not allow, if, you, if one's limited, so is the other. So... We have an eternal kingdom, an eternal uh, heaven, new heaven and new earth. And there is that which man will have chosen. It's funny to me because people always say, why would God create a place like that for me? Well, he didn't. The Bible's pretty clear. It says that the, the lake of fire was created for the devil and his angels. And the devil and his angels, why do they go there? The devil and his angels go there because they declared independence from God we don't want you so the place without God is called hell right the devil doesn't run it he's not in charge it's just a place in the absence of God the Bible uses all kinds of language to try to describe it it uses like a dump where people burn their trash it uses the term Gehenna where they used to throw away the, the dead babies that the people didn't want and they were offering as sacrifices in the, the dark days of Israel. He uses Tartarus. He uses the lake of fire. He calls it uh, absolute darkness where the fire burns and the worms, worm never dies. All of these are just metaphors to describe the place that is the absence of God. The Bible declares this truth. 
God, in God, with God, and around God is all good things. So anything around God is good. Anything in the absence of God is not. And so this is the description he gives us of hell. Not so that people would choose it, so that people would desire it, but if a man declares himself independent from God, I will not have you to rule over me. He's chosen that place. You have free choice. You can choose. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, the Lord stood before the people and he says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. What's the next phrase? He says, choose life. You can choose what you want. So here it says there will be a resurrection of the dead, many to everlasting life and many to everlasting contempt. And those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever again. The resurrection to everlasting life began with Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that he is the first fruit of the resurrection of the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man shall also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, in Christ all will be made alive, each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and then those coming who belong to Christ. This is what he's describing, the resurrection unto eternal life. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, a cry of command, the voice of the archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air together, and so we shall be with him. We will always be with him. This description of resurrection unto life. Revelation 20, verse 4, Scripture declares, I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus, for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or its image, had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. The resurrection to shame and contempt comes in Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw the great white throne and him who was seated on it, and from his presence earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. They were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now as we look at this, this section, I just want you to understand, there's a separation between the two resurrections. 
So if we want to kind of think of a timeline, we have the Battle of Armageddon. Jesus Christ returns with his church. His church is with him. He's going to conquer the armies. The resurrection uh, will happen at that moment. The dead will be raised. They'll be gathered together with the Old Testament saints. When Jesus finishes the battle of Armageddon, I believe there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is the entrance to the kingdom, his thousand-year reign. The, those who are the righteous dead will have received their inheritance at that point. Those who are being judged for hell will go to the great white throne judgment. That happens later. Those who died at the battle of Armageddon, those who, who perished without faith and trust in Christ. After the thousand years, the Bible says there's one more rebellion. And that rebellion is put down as in Revelation chapter 20. There's no war. There's no battle. It says that the army, Satan, is loosed. And he gathers, he deceives the nations, gathers, gathers them one more time in rebellion against God. Remember I told you this theme is played over and over since Genesis chapter 11. So look how thick your Bible is. You're going to see this replayed over and over and over because this is the state of the of rebellion of man against God. So there will be one last rebellion. The battle ends the Bible says that the heavens will roll up like a scroll. The one who holds it all together will let go. And there will be setting before all mankind the great white throne. The Bible says death and Hades will give up the dead. Those are two words that mean the same thing. Hades is not a, it's an archaic word we use for hell, but it just means the grave. What does death mean? The grave. Every dead person who did not rise in the first resurrection will rise in the second resurrection. And they'll have their moment before the king. You can make your case. Stand before the great God, the maker, creator of heavens and earth. And all whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will be uh, placed into the lake of fire. Okay, the place where... You know, this is mind-numbing uh, mind anyway to think about what, how do you get to a place where there's the absence of God. Psalm 139 says God's everywhere. So I, I don't know. I have questions too. But it, I just know that's not where people should want to go. Right? And that will be that final judgment. Then the scriptures declare there will be a new heaven and a new earth. A new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven and hovers between heaven and earth. The new Jerusalem is roughly the size of the moon. So that's a, a, a big city built like a cube. The Bible, you can read about it, Revelation 21, 22. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come down. The people of God are going to meet there. I believe the angels will live in the new heaven and human beings the redeemed will live in the new earth. But you'll be able to go wherever you want. It's not bad. If you want to, somehow we get up to the new Jerusalem. I assume we'll be able to fly, but maybe not. Maybe we'll just think I want to be there and we'll be there. I don't know. Harleys would be good too. Yeah. <laughs> Harleys would be fine. So, uh, so I just want you to kind of have a, a mindset. The eschaton, the end, the, uh, the, uh, 
the uh, accomplishment of, of creation in that moment. What happens after that, nobody knows. I don't care who writes what. Nobody knows. We will do whatever the king says, whatever he, whatever he has next. I know that the Bible says this, and it's a little bit of, it's taking scripture a little bit out of context, but, but I think it, it suits the point, and that is, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. You can't even begin to comprehend the things God has for those who love him. So he, he, he's letting us know, yeah, we can know, we get a taste of those things through his spirit here, but there will be an ultimate fulfillment there. And so I think, I think Daniel's been given a gift to be able to see these things. But it says in verse 4 of Daniel 12, But Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. Close it until the time of the end. For many shall go to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Prophetically, God says, seal up the book. Close it. Daniel's going to have questions. We'll go through them in a minute. But basically, God's saying, it's not for you, Daniel. You're going to die and go to the grave in peace. This is for the future. I'm, I'm, this is not for you. It's not for the people. You're, you're, the people who are going to come to this book, the people who will open this book, are, are, is going to be when people move to and fro. Now, please don't. I know. You probably heard the idea of what that means is people be able to fly all around the world and travel. That's not what it means. This phrase, this Hebrew idiom is used throughout scripture. This is, this, this is what it means. There will come a day when people will want to know what's going on. And on that day, the book will be open. It has nothing to do with planes, trains, automobiles. Okay? It has to do with People want, there will come a day when people will go, what in the world is going on? And when they do that, that book will be open for them. Now, the, the prophet Amos, <clears throat> if you guys want to consider uh, Amos chapter 8, we talk about the idea, what, what's it going to be like? Amos, it says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'm going to send a famine on the land. Not of bread, not of water but of hearing the words of the Lord. That happened. When did that happen? Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was what? 400 years with no prophets. There will come a time, Amos says, when I'm going to send famine on the land, not of bread nor of water, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. Listen to what he says. Then they shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east, they shall run to and fro to seek the word, but they shall not find it. Now, the point that he's saying is during those 400 years, people are going to begin to want to look. What is going on? Antiochus has come down. He's defiled the temple. You have all these things going on that Daniel told us about, that Daniel laid out for the people. And so Daniel is saying, You're, Daniel, this is sealed up. And I think Amos is shining light on it. When is it that people are going to be moving to and fro, looking for answers or looking for a prophet? Because in the Old Testament, when, when something was going wrong, God always sent a prophet and the prophet would tell him, hey, repent. Come on, you guys are messing up. 
That's why all this stuff is happening. But there's no prophet coming until John the Baptist. So God told them beforehand through the prophet Daniel so that those who would seek, there won't be a prophet who comes, but there is a word that has been given. And if you were with me when we went through Daniel 11, you basically saw a history lesson that Daniel talked about going on in around the nation of Israel during that period of time. So it's incredible uh, prophecy for us to look at. Incredible prophecy. So knowledge will increase. Knowledge will increase. A lot of times we want to point to the idea that we have more knowledge today than we've ever had before, but we're not any smarter, just so you know. I, I'm, I bet I can make the case they were smarter back then. There, there are things they did with the pyramids we can't do, and we have modern equipment. I'm trying to remember which one it is, but it won't come to my mind. But if you guys go look, you can find there was one of the pharaohs that built a pyramid with an opening in the pyramid where the light shone through on his birthday and landed on his casket. And we tried to figure that out and do it. And we were close. We could get it close. I think we were off by an hour here or there, but we didn't quite nail it. And do you know how much more equipment we got? than they had when they built them things. So the idea of knowledge increasing, man's going to start thinking more and more about himself, about how great he is, about how smart he is, about how much he knows. And the reality is the understanding of the events, prophetic events that we see in Scripture is going to get clearer and clearer the closer we get. So if we're still far off, we have a lot of confusion and we can't quite understand it. But as things are unfolding, we'll see them. That's why, it's a, for me, it's a waste of effort. The Bible never says figure out who the Antichrist is, so just stop. The Bible says look for Jesus Christ, not find the Antichrist. You don't win a prize. There's no prize. What does the Word of God tell us to do? Occupy till I come. Did, did he give us a commission as believers? Is supposed to be doing? Going to all the nation making disciples? Right? That's what we're supposed to be doing. If you figure out who the Antichrist is, I'm not sure you win anything. So don't worry about that part. Worry about being obedient to Jesus Christ. And as we get closer, things will become more clear. That's how that works. That's knowledge will increase. Not because we're so bright and we have Google. The, the, biggest, the biggest way to get confused in the Bible is to Google. I should know. I do it all the time. And then after I spend an afternoon in Google, I'm more confused than I was before. That ever happened to you guys? So we just want to we just want to recognize I think when he's talking about this idea of knowledge increasing where where as we get closer and closer to the event what's going on we get closer we're closer tomorrow than we are today to return to Christ amen and the closer we get the more clear things will be but we still have a job to do right the bible doesn't give us these prophetic events to freak us out and, and make us sell our stuff, put on a white robe, and go to the mountain somewhere. 
The Bible tells us so that we can know that God is in control. And we trust God and we do what he asked us to do. Occupy. Stay engaged. Keep moving forward. Don't worry. Don't worry. If you are loving the Lord your God and you're pursuing him, you won't miss anything. You know how the Bible describes it? Would you miss a day if the sun stopped shining? You'd get a phone call from one of your friends, friends and they'd say, did you notice the sun didn't shine at all today? And you would go, you're kidding me. No, if the sun stops shining, you'll notice it. Right? What if the moon turned to blood? You probably would notice that, right? The point of the metaphor is not that the moon really becomes blood or the sun really becomes black. The point of the metaphor is you won't miss it. How did Jesus say it? When he returns, how many eyes will see him? What's he mean? You're not going to miss it. You're not going to miss it. It's going to be okay. He's got you. You never had yourself anyway. We want to fulfill the purpose for which he's called us. Verse 5, Daniel 12. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. Now, I want you to understand why this is going on. If we go all the way back to 10, you'll recognize this is the, this is the closing of the beginning of the prophetic scene, the vision that he's seeing. So there's one angel giving him the vision and two others on either bank. Why is there three? New Testament says something like this. By the words of two or three witnesses, something is confirmed. What is God saying? Look, the things I told you, they're going to happen. This is going to happen. You can know. You don't have to worry about it. These things are going to happen. Someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the water, so one of the guys on the side of the river, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. This is not a posture of worship. This is a posture of an oath. He's making an oath. They're asking him, when, how long will these things be? He said, I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the water. He raised his right and left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever. It will be time, times and a half time three and a half years now it doesn't say anywhere it's three and a half years it just says three and a half it'll be three and a half time times and a half time and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end all these things will be finished i heard but i did not understand and i said oh lord what shall be the outcome of these things Daniel wants answers. What is going on, Lord? This is the craziest thing I ever saw. And the Lord said, Daniel, go your way. The words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. It's not for you, Daniel. He's asking, and he don't get an answer. It's not for you, Daniel. It's interesting because he says there's going to be a moment when the, the people, the nation of Israel is finished. 
You can read about it in Ezekiel 38 and 39. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 19. I think you can read about it again in Revelation chapter 20. The, the people, the holy city are finished. There's no hope. They're surrounded by all the enemies of the world. There's no hope for them until there is. Right? They've got no hope. Ezekiel says they've got no hope. There's nothing they can do. They're surrounded. Nothing. And then what happens? Jesus comes. He shows up. And the battle is won. Just like that. Just like every hero story we ever told. Right? Every good book, you got to write it to way past the point of no return. And the hero appears. Well, the original, the first hero, that's Jesus Christ, his return. He will come. And how long will it be? Three and a half years. What's that mean? It won't last forever. You ever find yourself in a crazy period of time and everything's against you and all stuff is falling apart and you would surely like to see a new chapter in your life come about? Hear the words. It's not come to stay. It has come to pass. It's not eternal. There's one eternal state. That eternal state is being with Christ. The moment the power of the holy people is broken, Jesus will come. And the battle will be over. The moment that the storm was at its craziest and the disciples are all freaking out and they're going down and telling Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus shows up. He sees you. Hasn't lost you. Hasn't forgotten you. All of history is moving toward a conclusion, including your history. God on the bible very clearly says and he who endures to the end shall be saved you hold on he's coming you hold on and he will be there verse 10 he goes on and says many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined but the wicked will act wickedly and none of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise shall understand. The distinction between the wise and the fool has been something that's gone throughout the word of God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The wise man lifts up his eyes upon God. Here's a correction of the word of God, and he repents. He changes his direction, and he follows the Lord. Those who do that will be clothed in white. Those who don't, the wicked will be wicked. Let the wicked be wicked still. You don't want to respond to God. Do your thing. Let the wicked be wicked still. There will be that judgment. But the wise will understand. What is he talking about? He's talking about the distinction that the book of Proverbs gives between those who will respond to Christ and those who will not. The fool will not respond. 
the wise, he will respond. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Anybody want to guess how long that is? Plus a little bit. Plus a little. Depending on how you count. Uh, three and a half years, 1,290 days. And blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. Oh, what's that? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this really easy for you guys to write this down. This will be the best note you ever get from me in your life. You ready? Nobody knows. <laughs> now, I did pay like $3,000 for a commentary that had an answer. I'll give you the answer for the $3,000 commentary. Just so you have an answer. But right before they give the answer, they go, we're not really sure. But maybe. So I paid $3,000 for somebody to guess. So the... <laughs> You should not look at the Logos bill at all. Live in your happy world, baby. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. That's right. So, so there's several views. I, I, I want to give you all of them just so you're, you're armed with them all. Some people will say from the abomination of desolation that Antiochus Epiphanes performed way back, you know, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, historically, the one where he put pig's blood, from that until the, the victory of the Maccabean revolt was 1,290 days, and from that to the death of Antiochus Epiphanes was 1,335 days. They will tell you that. And it's close. But there's nothing that lands exactly on the mark. And it's hard because you're counting from the day when the 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 sacrifice and offerings taken away. So if we go back to Antiochus account from the day when he did that, you, you can get kind of close. If we go forward and we look at the Antichrist, the Bible talked about where he will also, Jesus spoke of an abomination of desolation, right? Matthew 24. That's future from Daniel's time, from Daniel's prophecy. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, so he's, he gives the initial illustration of what that looks like. And Jesus looking forward to another one, right? John in Revelation talks about the same thing. When uh, uh, Peter talks, or sorry, Paul talks about it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So there's a future event like the past event. So from the abomination of desolation to the end when Jesus comes and delivers people, three and a half years. There's 30 extra days there. So the the uh, the three thousand dollar guess is that thirty extra days is the judgment of the nations. Jesus spoke about in the Olivet discourse. Remember when he said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you when I was hungry, did you feed me?" You guys remember? And we're gonna say, well, "When did we do that?" And he'll he'll say, "When you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me." The Bible calls that the judgment of the nations, which would happen after the battle of Armageddon, where nations who did good enter into the kingdom of nations who didn't, don't, the division of the sheep and the goats, right? You guys familiar with it? That that judgment takes 30 days. 
and then you have another 45 days for the 1,335 days. That other 45 days is how long it takes to institute a kingdom of God, his kingdom setting up his, uh, his rule over the nation. Okay? They're worth not what I paid for them at all. Okay? There are some mysteries in the word of God. You, you're going to have to be okay with mysteries. No matter what, though, though, those numbers, they count for something. And remember what scripture says. As we get closer to the event, knowledge will increase. There may be things that we understand further down the road that we don't understand today. But in the meantime, he's telling us, look, there are events. What, what, I, I just want to tell you, this is my takeaway from the events, okay? Now, I'm not saying you're going through a tribulation period. You guys know I don't believe that we're going through a tribulation period. But I do want to say this. When you're going through a time of tribulation, a period of persecution, a struggle in your life, blessed is the one who endures all the way to the end. Who doesn't give up in the middle. Who's, who, who just keeps keeping on. Because there will be a blessing for those who endure to the end. Amen? Or here's a shorter way to say it. It's always too soon to quit. Don't ever give up. But what's he tell Daniel? Verse 13, go your way until the end. Daniel, good job. You will be buried with your fathers. You shall rest and stand in your allotted place at the end of days. He's saying, Daniel, you're good. You've lived your life well. Go, go to the grave in peace. I'll see you soon. And then the vision is over. And the book of Daniel is closed. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth that, uh, that your word declares, the guidance that you give us on the pages of scripture. Lord, you, I think you just want us to understand and know that you know what you're doing. I look at the world today, I look at all the things that are going on around the world, and I say, man, I, I don't know where this is all going. I can't understand why people are doing the things they're doing. Uh, I'm pretty sure that my president doesn't even know what's going on. I look at all of these things, but I can be uh, assured from Scripture that the God of the universe knows what's happening. He has a purpose, a plan. It is being accomplished in his way to, uh, to fulfill his purpose. And God, I just thank you that we have that truth to remind us. And then the promise that says, keep enduring. Oh, I want to give up. Don't give up. Keep enduring. The word to the holy people, the people of the holy city was, when your power, when your, when your power has come to its end, you've lost. I'll be there. So God, I just, I just pray that we remember the truth that you your eyes are upon your children. You know what's going on. And you will accomplish your perfect purpose. May we trust you unto that day. And we give you all the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name.
ね。